Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. This is Between the Lines with Virtual Academy, a podcast going beyond the badge to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response a place to tell their stories and talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. Glad to have you along. I'm your co-host, Brent Hinson, and today we're going to introduce you guys to a former chief of police who spent a majority of his career not only investing back into his own community, but also committing his time toward training and preparing officers in the law enforcement field. But first, we're going to bring in our host, a guy who knows a thing about training. That's Mr. Michael Warren. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well today. Uh, Brent, I have to say the this transitioning into the new year, it, it, for whatever reason, it's it's been a little bit more difficult this year than others. Yeah, usually I don't get really invested in the new year until March. It takes me a couple of months to get, uh, you know, situated. Uh, maybe it's because it's been real gloomy and rainy here uh, in Michigan the last uh, seems like month. But it, it just, doesn't help. No, it, it really doesn't. But uh, I, I'm excited that uh, we are uh, starting. Uh, this will be our second episode in 2023. I said it correctly the first time there, 2023. Unlike yeah. my checks that I've been writing, 2022. I know, right. But uh, I'm excited about today. So uh, what can you tell us about our guest? I'm excited about our guest today. He is uh, has a great story. Uh, started out as a dispatcher in his hometown of Williamston, South Carolina, while he was still in school at Greenville Technical College. And then uh, fast forward a couple of years to 1984. It's when he started with the Greenville County Sheriff's Office, a position he held for many years where he was a member of the gang task force with the Federal Bureau of ATF. And then in 2007, he became an advanced instructor in gang enforcement and other police training topics at the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy before kind of making it full circle and going back to his hometown of Williamston to become chief of police for nearly nine years. We are happy to welcome Mr. Tony Taylor to the podcast. Glad to have you along, sir. Glad to be here this morning. Hey, hey Chief, is it okay if I call you Tony? That is fine with me. All right, Tony. Hey, we, we really appreciate you being here today. And and uh, you, you've had a long career and we're going to talk about some of that today. Uh, but I always ask guests this right here and I'll, I'll, I'll do the same with you. What was it that drew you to the law enforcement profession? Well, I believe that it's a calling. I believe it's something that's ordained of God that you're called to. Um, as a kid, I, I, I remember here last four or five years ago, I was uh, at my mom's and up in the attic and going through some things in the attic. And I found a book that I think I checked out in the library, but I must never took it back or I, or <laughs> back in, or, or, back, or back in the day, or back in the day, they would, they would give books away that nobody was. And there was a book in there about this, um, the uh, second in command for the Washington DC police department, the first. And uh, it was an African-American, the first. And they had a book about this particular person. And and uh, I go back and I look at it in hindsight. And I look at that book because I gravitated toward that book. And I was always about helping people and, and, and trying to find solutions and things like that. Even as a kid, I was always the peacemaker and those kind of things. So I, I think it's a call. I think it's something that um, that that at the time, during that time, it was very noble. To want to want to want you know want to be a police officer or a cop and and people looked up to you because you made that that choice and so I think that was just the reason it was just just it was just a calling for me. And and, and Tony, it's it's kind of interesting that you said that, uh, Brent. If you remember back to uh, our episode uh, with uh, Brittany, and she referred to the work that she does is that that's her mission field, and, and right. it, that type of dedication. Uh, Tony, would you agree that having that perspective has an impact on the way that you perform your job? Well, yeah, it, de it definitely does, because as you know, everything is not peaches and roses. I mean, you know, <laughs> you have good times, you have bad times, but it's just something about it. you don't walk away just because things may not go your way or something. You just don't walk away from it. And 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 so um, it definitely it definitely has to be that that calling on your life to, to stay in as long as I have. And even retiring, I'm still leaning toward law enforcement. So um, it, it's something that I enjoy, um, you know, and, and uh, I want to continue on uh, with doing what I do. 
And we'll talk about your retirement stuff here a little bit later. But when I look at people like you and and, and uh, some of my other friends, the only other profession that I can think of is kind of like professional sports. You get those folks uh, that are professional athletes. And then when they retire, they don't get away from the sport. They become coaches or they become, you know, they still have their hand in the game. And is that kind of how you feel right now? Yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe I have something of value to give back. And and that's what I want to do is want to want to give some things back uh, to our profession and make it better. Well, we'll, we'll talk about your time at the academy uh, in a bit. But I want to ask you, um, was your time that you went through the basic police academy, uh, how different was it from when you worked there uh, full time at the academy? Was was there a big difference or was it pretty similar? Well, for for me, um, it was a big difference because uh, even, even back in 1984, we had a pre-academy back in 1984 when I worked for uh, Sheriff Johnny McBrown, which uh, later be- became the uh, president of the National Sheriff's Association. Um, you know, he was always one of those guys that was really uh, on top of things and, and, and everything. And so uh, when I went to academy, it was, it was it was different because I had done everything. I went through the basic academy we had. And so when I went through it, it was it was different. Another thing is I wanted to be there. And I, I think that was a big difference. It wasn't just a job. You know, a lot of a lot of times now these guys go in when I was at the academy. It was just it's just a job because I can't get anything else. And, and not all of them are like that, but a good majority of them. So uh, when, I, when I went through, man, it was fun. And, and, and uh, you develop relationships uh, with people and in, in, in those kind of things. Yeah. I, I reflect back on when I went to basic training. Uh, you know, I, I obviously not old enough to have been drafted and nor were they any of the people that I was there with. But th- there were people there that that they had no other choice. Th- th- this this was th- their last resort. And, and their take on the training was much different than mine because I was excited to be there. This was, I dreamed about this since I was a little kid. And again, uh, we'll talk about perspective uh, throughout today, but our perspective has direct impact on the way that we do the job and how much we enjoy the job. Yeah. And, and the training then back in 1984, I remember when a guy by the name of Sergeant Can did our PT and uh, he was a, a uh, trooper. And so he would get in there and he was teaching us back then we had the PR-24s. And he would actually take a, a bat and we had to jog in place. You had his PR-24, he said left side, right side. And he would actually hit you. I mean, he would actually hit you. <laughs> if you didn't go left and you went right, you'd get hit. And and, uh, and so they, they can't do that kind of stuff anymore. But, yeah, but I was going to say, that's no, not going on no, anymore. <laughs> no, you get hit. And, and uh, for his takedowns, he walked the biggest guy in the in in, in our in our uh, platoon. He walked the biggest guy, so he would take the biggest guy down. He'd actually put a little force on the guy and say, and and, and uh, get the guy on the ground and stuff. So it was a lot different back then. It was more real, and and uh, uh, the expectancy uh, was a little bit different training uh, uh, back in those days. And, and I think it's important to, to point out here that it was different. But it doesn't mean that they weren't doing the best that they knew how to do because research changes. And it's been a while since you've been through the academy. Yeah. Things change and we should be getting better. If the academy is exactly the same today as it was back then, then that's that's indicative of a problem. Yeah, that is. Uh, we have to progress and we still got work to do. I mean, I left the academy back in 2013. And I started in total seven and we still have a lot of work that we, we have to do, um, you know, within what we're teaching. Because a lot of times, let's face it, I don't know about the academies there in that area, but a lot of times they, they, they uh, get into this place of, of a teaching something and they teach it and teach it and they never really go back and say, well, maybe we need to change this. Maybe we need to look at some some other ways of doing things. So, um you know, any of us like you and I are instructors, you have to progress. There's always a progression. There's always ways of looking at new new ways to communicate it and, and to get your message across. You, you and I were talking uh, yesterday uh, because we'll talk about an event we're going to be working on together. But we were talking about doing reading and research and studying for this event. And when we do that, it should change. What, what I thought yesterday, uh, it, it should either uh, make me more sure or make me less sure or perhaps even change what I'm thinking 
because I have more information now. Yeah, correct. And and for me, the study is for me is because I want to be able to communicate and communicate things in a practical manner. So the more I know about a subject, the more I can uh, know about it and the more it becomes a reality to me, the more I can communicate and make it practical. And and that's and that's what I do. All right. So so let, let's go back to the 80s and, and oh, um, yeah. just throw, just throwing it out there for just a second. Yeah. I'd love to go back to the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> I think one of the best decades ever. But but when, when you go back and I assume it was it was deputy was yeah. your title. Yeah. What do you remember about young deputy? Man, it was it was a blast. It was, it was a blast. We had fun because we believed in what we were doing. And and uh, we we believed in community and 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 this one of the things is is that uh, it was old saying well if you catch the fish you got to dress it you got to clean it and so it wasn't any of this thing overtime and those kind of things if it was at the end of your shift and you caught a fish you had to clean it so you would you would you wouldn't have to you wouldn't say am I gonna get paid for this hour over because we enjoyed it and we believed that we were committed to the community and and uh, and and working for the betterment of the community and so it, it was a blast it was fun back then. Um, Eventually, we moved to community policing, and I was one of the first to, to begin that that particular uh, concept at our agency, uh, moving over to community policing. And, and so I was in some of the worst areas, but it was great because the people understood that the community and law enforcement were one. We were in it together. And, and so so we had a blast, man. We would uh, uh, go out and uh, we started this thing. A guy by the name of Herman Rice came in from Philadelphia. He was on 60 Minutes. He was doing this thing where you would actually bring the community together and the community would go out and protest the drug dealers. They would actually go to the drug dealers areas or even in some of them go to the drug dealers houses and uh, and they would protest. And so we started that uh, in our community. And it was a blast. Huh. We would actually take these these communities that was drug ridden and uh, we would have them. We can't do this now, but we'd actually have them camp out and they had these white hard hats. And uh, they had their, 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 their T-shirts on and they would get out in front of the drug dealer's house and they would shout slogans like, if you keep on selling, we're going to keep on yelling. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they would they would challenge the drug dealer. So they would actually shut it down. They would make it uncomfortable for the drug dealer. We just go out there with them. And um, did you have any instance where the drug dealers like came out and like there was any confrontation? Oh, when they came out, we came out. Oh, they came out, we came out. <laughs> so when they came out, wanted to deal with our people, with our community, then that's when we got in front of them. We did what we had to do, and then we, we would do DL checks, and they would be capping out the the uh, community would be capping out on the side. They would bring some uh, lounge, lounge chairs or whatever, and so every time we would arrest somebody. They, they had bullhorns, so they'd get out and clap for us and do different things like that. <laughs> I mean, it was great. Uh, we had a blast because it was about community and about law enforcement working together. And law enforcement wasn't a boogeyman. It was about all of us working together back during that time. And then, and I won't say that's the time counting around the 90s or so, but we started the community policing concept, which is a philosophy more than anything and getting, getting people in, in, involved in the communities and those kind of things. It, 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 we simply don't have the resources to be able to handle all the problems and issues ourselves. Yeah. As law enforcement. Well, well, let's see. Let's see. This is the thing about the resources. The, the biggest thing is, is this, is that, um, you know, when it comes to zoning issues and it comes to those other different types of issues, then let's put that back where that goes and let us stick with what we do. And I, and I think that's one of the things that, that we that we have to do. A better job at and that's one of the things we learned back then during the 80s and the 90s of community policing was that we're we're bringing everybody to the table we're going to bring everybody to the table so if you got a housing issue if you got a a, a zoning issue if you got some other issue let's get everybody to the table and let's make sure that everybody know their know, know their roles and responsibilities and so that's kind of that's kind of what we do was bring everybody together because nowadays they want us to do everything. You know, we, we're the psychologists, we're this, we're that, and that is impossible. Well, impossible. if you if you go back to the uh, uh, the final report of the president's task force on policing in the 21st century, if you were to sum it up in, in just a couple of sentences, that's exactly what they found: is the police are expected to do everything, but simply aren't trained equipped no. or have the time to do everything. 
Hey, hey Brent, I, I, the, the way he's talking and the story that he's telling and the fact that he keeps using the word we kind of takes me back to the, the Dion Joseph episode where he talks about his work down in Skid Row. This sense of community changes the way that we view what we do and how we do it. Well, it comes back to a word that I've seen associated with the chief quite a bit, and that's the word investment, investing in people, investing in the community. And it sounds like that's a method that really worked for you. Yeah, well, well this is the thing is we're, we're one. It's no law enforcement in community. We are one. We work for that community. And, and, and one of the things that I took offense, if that was a crime in my beat that was committed in my beat, it was committed against me. It wasn't just, you know, Miss Julia. It was me that they committed that crime against. So so we took it personal. Now, this is a funny thing. I was out uh, at a restaurant just, just a couple of days ago, and uh, a guy walked in. He looked at me. He said, they used to call me TC. He said, you're TC, right? I said, yeah. He said, you remember me? I said, no. He said, man, you should chase me all over the place back <laughs> in the day. I said, what? He said, yeah, man. He said, man, my life's together and this and that. But there was a, a respect even for the guys on the street corner. Even for those guys that was doing the things that they shouldn't have been doing because of how we approached it, that was a mutual respect. And my job was to catch you slipping. And I get out and I talk to them one day and one day I pat them down, one day I wouldn't. And I would catch them slipping. I say, come on, let's go get this stuff care of. Or if, uh, or, or if uh, the burglary unit was looking for somebody, I, I knew everybody. I knew Fat Tom and, 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 and Big D and, 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 and Cheese. And all these, I knew them all. So when they would come, they'd say, hey, uh, man, do you know this guy by the name of Cheese? I said, man, I know Cheese. I said, hold up a minute. Let me go get him. And I just go get, I said, come on, Cheese. Come on. We got to go up here and get this thing straight. Now, he what? Man, get your butt in the car. Get him in the car, take him up there and uh, turn him over. And uh, they do what they do and they cut him loose be, be, because um, I, I think we have to be invested in the community and, and we have to become a part of that community. And I think that's one of the things that's just like it. Well, and, and, and I think you're dead on there because not only are we public servants and we serve the community, but oftentimes we and uh, others uh, forget that we're a part of the community. My, my family lives in the community. My friends live in the community. They're not committing the crime in a legal sense against me, but it's against society. There's an individual victim, but there's a greater victim as well. And when we look at it that way, it changes our perspective of those we come in contact with. It, it, it has to, because I think now what happens in a lot of ways, it's almost paramilitaries is occupying occup, occupation is that nobody wants the community occupied is, but they do want you to be a part of that community. And it's very, very important that we get out of our vehicles and we talk to people. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We we talk to people, and 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 I think that is one of the things that's missing in a lot of situations. Is we don't, and a lot of times the guys don't have times so because they're running, they're running from call to call, and 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 so that's that's the issue too. But then again, it it talks about you know what type of calls are we even responding to because a lot of calls we shouldn't even be responding to. But you have to take time to invest, like you said, we have to take time to invest ourselves in that community, and we find out eventually that they're just like we are. That, that you know, there's no different. You know, then those people that want to be safe and, and want, to, want to be protected is just like in my community. We want to be safe as well. Well, you you, uh, you mentioned that we, we need to talk to people. And so at some point in your career, you, you became a gang investigator. How important was it to that assignment that you're able to talk to people, even if they are gang members or especially if they're gang members? Well, one of the things is I was always a person that. I look for a need where, where there was a need, especially in law enforcement uh, that, you know, I gravitated towards. So when gangs started coming out in, in our community and everything and all, I say, hey, nobody's kind of like, you know, uh, dealing with this. So I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. And, and one of my biggest things I was fascinated with gang members was their philosophy, their ideology. And so that's how I would go with them is I want to know about your ideology. And that's how I learned about, about the gangs, about the ideology, what makes them tick. And then um, when I uh, and then I would take that back and communicate that and teach that to parents and what the things to look for and, and why these kids are doing what they're doing and, and the, the, those kind of things. And then when I went on the task force, I found out they all will will uh, they, they, they all talk and call that downward departure. They all going to give you something. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> want to do fed time. Nobody <laughs> wants to do fed time. But but. Um, they were always willing to 
I could put them on video, let them do all this stuff and and uh, ask them about the book of knowledge and, and different things like that. Because I was fascinated with it. But I knew that it was just not just guys running around committing crimes, but there was a ideology behind it and there was a culture behind it. And so that's kind of how I, I looked at it and, and, and uh, would, would get in the door with these guys. And they would tell me a lot of things that maybe the other officers they wouldn't talk to them about. So instead of just looking at a problem face value, there's a you know, gang problem in our area. Why are these gangs forming? What symptoms caused them to, to come together? You're go- going at the core of the issue. Right. The ideology about it. And then also understanding that every gang bang ain't a drug dealer. They were doing right. white collar crimes. They were doing a lot mm-hmm. of white collar crimes, uh, 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 different different things like that. So the intelligence was I was able to help not just not not just the drug unit, which everybody want to put a gang, your, your gang people in the drug unit. But they do all kind of commit all kind of crimes. Well, I was able to help, um, you know, uh, the, the violent crimes, help the white collar crime guys and, and a lot of things like that just by sitting down and talking and listening to people. And I would imagine that was strength in your relationships there, too, because they're starting well, to, to trust you. You know, you're wanting to know more about them. Right. Right. And and, and not in not a threatening manner. So, uh, yeah, that was I, I really, really enjoyed that challenge. And I was so good at it. I started getting calls all, all over the place about, hey, can you come train our guys? Can you come do this? And can you come do that? And uh, the academy heard about it or saw me somewhere and they said, hey, we need this guy. And, and so uh, they passed legislation for gang training, and that's how I ended up going to the academy. I know it's probably hard to, to narrow it down to, to one or two, but it, can you think of a case or, or, or an incident uh, when you were doing gang investigations that at the end of it, you're like, that's why I do it. This right here is the, the price. I paid all those other things, things I didn't enjoy doing. That was the price to be able to do this right here. Well, I think the biggest thing that uh, I really gained out of it was being able to understand and their ideology and was able to pass that along and, and uh, uh, understand their, their culture. I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, well, the other thing is, yeah, we, we did have a, a robbery. We had a guys, a bunch of guys pulling robberies. They was like doing it every week. And um, I did, did make a good deal with that, where they were doing that. And I had a CI that kind of laid it out and all those kind of things. So I can remember that. So that, that's a lot of different things. But let, let me just tell you this story because uh, going back to my years on patrol, you know, because everybody has a story to tell. I, I can tell a whole bunch of stories, <laughs> but one of the funniest stories is ain't funny. It was it wasn't funny. It was funny now. One of, one of the funniest stories was um, there was a guy by the name of Mickey, and uh, he was known to stab people and cut people and this kind of thing. And uh, so we had a stabbing one night in the beat. And so here I am in the beat. I pass the taxi. I look. There's a guy leaning low in the taxi. I said, that's Mickey. I turn around. I, I uh, get out, stop to the taxi. And matter of fact, we was doing one of our drug things. We was doing, it was actually he came through the neighborhood. We was doing one of our drug things. So um, I was calling dispatch. Hey, I got this guy stabbed. So I had my nine. Back then we had nine millimeter. I had my nine on him. And I was calling dispatch. And, and I saw the, the driver, he was kind of nervous and looking around. He was the driver of the taxi. He was weaving and bobbing. I said, what the heck is wrong with him? And when I looked at my hand, I hit it sideways. And I was, my head was just shaking. <laughs> 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 it, because, you know, Mickey had a reputation, man. Yeah. If, if Mickey would have sneezed, I'd probably lit that car up if Mickey would have even sneezed. I saw <laughs> my hand was just shaking. I had, to, I, had, I, had to, I had to turn ghetto, too. I had to turn that, cock that gun sideways. I don't even know why I had it sideways. But that was that. That was a funny thing. And, and then I remember one night, we used to have a drive through funeral home. You know, I don't know if you guys have experienced a drive through funeral home. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You, you got to explain that because I have no idea what you're referring to there. A drive through funeral home is where you put the body in the window and people drive through, have a drive through, and they can look at the body in the window. All right. That's a drive through funeral home. And so um, I'll never forget one night we had an alarm at the drive through funeral home and I pulled up and they had the body in the window. So me and the guy spent probably about 30 <laughs> minutes fussing about who was going to go in there and check that open door. I said, I'll be covered. He said, no, I'll be covered. So we just decided, well, it wasn't nothing in there worth stealing anyway, but this dead man, who's going to steal? So we went 10-8. Now, don't tell nobody. I said, we said, hey, everything's fine. We 10-8. Everything's good. I wasn't going in there. This dude's sitting up here. In the uh, listen, was fine if, if anything moves in here, there's going to be some rounds put down range because I ain't taking no chances. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we just decided, we decided to call the owner and notify they got an open door, but everything looks fine. <laughs> and we were from the outside looking in. 
I said, don't let nobody touch the body. So he looked good to me. So everything, everything is good. So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll rock, paper, scissors this thing. Yeah. <laughs> then when you lose, it'll be two out of three. <laughs> that was funny. Tony, as a retired guy now, hearing stories like that, those interactions with the people we work with, I really miss that. Oh yeah, but, but it was different back then. I mean, man, we would go, we would go like an hour before roll call just to go and see who we gonna rest today. We go, we had a warrant division, but we we go down and we want to get the felony warrants. We said, who are who in my beat got a felony warrant? So I mean, it was fun. It was just different dynamics than it is today. It was, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I wish we could go back to the, those days. I, I'll be right there right now if we could go back to those days. A good friend of mine, Rick Mitchell, puts it. Uh, that type of job is a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. It is. And, and, and this is the thing. I locked up a whole bunch of folks. People talk about community policing is touchy-feely. That's, that's crazy. You don't know what community policing is. I locked up a whole ton of folk in the, under community police. And every one of them today would tell you that I treated them with respect. I treated them fairly. And now we laugh when we see each other. Some of those guys done time. And we see each other. They've got themselves together. They tell me about the guys that don't have themselves together. And, and uh, uh, it was just one of those things because they knew that we were there for the right reasons, you know. And and, and it was, like I said, mutual respect. Even, like I said, even today, I don't have to worry about, oh, man, I bet. And I'm not saying I don't care, but it's not because I don't care because I'm worried about some guy I done locked up before. Right. Uh, 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 you know, because it was just a, it was a different day, different time. And, and those guys, we, we set back, even some of us now laugh about those those days, even when I was locking them up and those kind of things, you know. Yeah. I, I don't carry for the past. I carry for the potential future. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but you know, you, you, you brought something up there, and I think it's important that we emphasize this. Uh, community policing, when done correctly, it's not a touchy feely thing. It's not. It's not a. People no. don't go to jail. It, it, it is about involving the community, and, and there are all these all these studies that have been done that that show that most people don't have an issue with the end result of their interaction with police, even if they get arrested. It's the process. It's how it happened. And I heard a guy on a podcast that's fantastic called Left of Greg. And the way he put it, he goes, most of the time people don't want their way. They just want their say. And, and, and if we just allow them to have their say and we listen to them and we treat them as a human being, then we're going to get much better results. Exactly. And, and I think one of the things, too, is is policing based on the community's responsibility. I, I mean, for example, Back when I done it is, you know, what we did was what the community wanted. In the community, we said, okay, what do you want? And we explained it to them. We'll say, okay, now if you want people to go to jail, this is what's going to happen. We're doing these these driver's license checks. You know, you're going to be coming through driver's license checks. Make sure you're straight. So, I mean, so so we basically went to the community and said, okay, what do you want from us? This is what we can do. This is what we cannot do. What is it that you want? And I, I don't think a lot of that is 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 – is out there now that where we actually go and say, what is it that you want? Because this is what it's going to take to do it. Absolutely. You know, and, and those, kind, and those, those kind of things. And, and uh, we want you to stand with us. And I think that's important too, because it's a philosophy. What we've done, we've made it a program, community policing, a program in actuality. It's a philosophy. It's just how you treat people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, I think that you're a lot like me, you were enjoying the heck out of the job. But, but at some oh, yeah. point, you've got to make that transition, and you made yeah. the transition over to the academy. Was that a hard decision for you to make, making that transition? Well, no, it was time. It, it was time because I, I believe you evolve. I believe that you move on. I believe you progress. And it was time, and I wanted to see the other side of it. And that's what taught me when I went to the academy. I, I think I had a good sense of what really taught me about liability about liability issues and, and, and those kind of things. So I, I really learned a lot uh, there as far as the liabilities that we carry uh, between the, thing, the, the, the things that we do every day, the liability issues that, that, we, that, that, we, that we carry and the importance to make sure that we're, we're functioning properly. I don't know about you, but when I started learning some of the why behind what we can and can't do, it was kind of like, right. well, that makes so much sense now. 
So, something that I used to fight against uh, and now I, I fully support. And, and perhaps as a profession, we need to be a little bit more transparent internally for those wise. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an eye opening for me to get there to the academy and, and uh, understand the seriousness of why we do what we do and, and to make sure that uh, these these cadets get that message to when you violate somebody's rights, the importance of why we don't do certain things and those kind of things. So, so it kind of opened me up on that, on that side too. Of I knew what I was doing on the streets, but you know, because I, I, you know, I did that, but to really look at the liability issues was a total different thing for me. And, and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take something here from your, your resume, uh, because I think this really highlights what you just said, uh, talking about researching and developing materials and coursework that are legally defensible, procedurally and tactically sound right. and, and that's what training should provide uh too often it may be legally defensible but it's not tactically sound and in some cases it may be tactically sound but it may not be legal and it has to incorporate all of those particular characteristics there exactly i was uh, i was on the uh, um when I left and became chief, the governor appointed me to the, the to our training council. And on the training council, what we do is we deal with uh, certification issues. When you get an officer that that uh, is not honest or he does something that's that's not appropriate, we we actually can take their certifications. And and so I was talking. A, a chief called me yesterday, and uh, he was telling me about he had an officer. Uh, they had they had a shooting. And they had these First Amendment people out with some cameras videoing. And an officer took one of the cameras from him and said, well, well there's probably evidence on this camera. And so so when they went to this officer, this investigator said, hey, did you 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 take that? Well, I, I took it because there, there might be some evidence. Well, it probably really wasn't any evidence, but I took it. I said and I told him, I said, that's a that's a that's a problem. I said, you're going to be paying for that. I said, because this person took it. Like you said, it might be legal, but is it tactical? And then the person said, well, you know, I, I use that, but I really didn't think it was anything on it. But I use that as a tool to get their video. But I really didn't think that was any evidence on it. I said, yeah, you got a problem, a, a big problem. You, you, you got you got a, you got a big problem. You know, and that person gonna have a big problem in the, with that certification as well. Um, so so like you said, it, it, it taught it taught me a lot about understanding um, where we are and how far we got to go dealing with a lot of this, these issues and, and things like that. Well, I, I have to imagine that your experiences, though, in the academy had to be incredibly helpful when you made the decision to become a chief of police. Oh, man. Oh, man. Let me tell you, when I when I went back home, when I when I when I went back home, it was like. I said, okay, well, your policies, what, what policies? The guys had on different <laughs> uniforms. They had on, somebody had on a green, somebody had on this, they had on that. I said, what have I got into? And so <laughs> I had to, I had to bring a friend of mine in. He had retired as a captain for another agency. I said, come on, man, come on with me. You're going to be my admin guy. He was a very strong administrator. They didn't have any policies in place. And what we did was we had to go in there and actually do rehires. We actually had to go in there. A lot of them guys shouldn't have been policing. We had to actually just go in and just do rehires and just revamp the police department. So, yeah, it, it, it was at the point where I got tired of turning over rocks. I mean, you just turn them over, you're fighting this, you're fighting that. And it got to that point that I said, I, I can't, I, you know, you know, at some point in time, you, you got to stop turning these rocks over. Their, their evidence was crazy and it was it was a mess. I had never seen nothing like it. Well, well, well there, there are a couple of accomplishments the, the, that you had while you were chief of police. And I want to ask you uh, about them to, and kind of get the what made you decide to do that. And one of the ones was you increased the number of school resource officers from one to four. Why was that so important to you? Well, they had one, one school resource officer for three different schools. I mean, they had one. They had one. For, for three different schools, and uh, that was impossible to do what we need to do. So we went, we went to the school district, and they couldn't even find a contract. I don't even know how that happened. They couldn't <laughs> even find a contract. So so we went in there and said, look, we need to do a contract. Look, you, look, you know, to, in order to provide you the, the best appropriate law enforcement, 
uh, uh, security and things that you need, you got to have you got to have officers in these schools. So we did that. And then there was a, uh, a career center right outside of our jurisdiction that uh, we contracted with to provide a law enforcement officer for them as well. So and that's kind of a two pronged thing because you put more officers in the school. Kids are seeing right. officers as right. helpful at an early age. Exactly. Exactly. So that was one of the things we want to do in the schools. Schools picked it up, and started funding that, but it was just, it was, it was just crazy. Isn't it ironic though? If you go back to the eighties, uh, there were very few, if any, school resource officers. Oh yeah, no, nah, no copping. I finished school nineteen eighty one, high school nineteen eighty one, and that was never a cops at nobody's school. You never thought about anything like that. You know, you never. You never, you never thought about it. The only time you see a cop is at the basketball games or football, you know, and they was doing a little side duty stuff. But, but we've, we've come a long way. We've actually come a long ways now. And we, we've had to. And the, the, the problem is those agencies who haven't made that transition. Well, well this, I'm glad you brought that up because this is one of the things we're doing now. Before I left the training council, one of the things that we implemented was because, you know, everybody's talking about a, a, a accreditation. We talk about national accreditation, but a lot of places like the place I come from, I had 25 officers. We couldn't afford a national accreditation because it's a lot of money. So what I moved toward is state accreditation. And so when I left, we were working on state accreditation. But what the legislators done and ordered the training council to do was to make sure that there was at least 10 things of a criteria that every agency must have. And so what, what they're doing now is is what, what they're doing starting in January was they, he hired two accreditation people to go out to these agencies to make sure that they had these 10 qualifiers, which, you know, it would be your deadly force policy and so on and so on and so on. So you got a lot of agencies that don't even have those policies. You got two men agencies, uh, five men agencies that don't have any of that kind of stuff. And even some of the other places don't have any of these policies or proof. They may have them, but they don't have the proof that they're actually doing that. So now here, what happens here in South Carolina is that these accreditation people, they'll be going out looking for these policies in place and proof of these policies. And if you don't have them, uh, technically, the academy, that what well, a training council will be able to, to hold up the certification. In other words, your officers won't be deemed to work as law enforcement officers within the state until you comply. Well, I, I, and believe me, I support this wholly that we, we have programs in just about every state that go to decertify officers that, that aren't qualified to be police officers. And I think that's important policing ourselves, but very few have anything at all in place for decertifying agencies. Yeah, well, that's what. We, yeah, 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 and that's what we've done. We, we, if you don't, if you don't have this particular, if you don't have these particular qualifiers, uh, you, you basically your agency basically becomes decertified. And, and I think that's where we need to move, because if we're going to hold officers to a minimum standard, then agencies need to be held to a minimum set of standards as well. We can't just put it on the individual officer. No, and that and that goes back to their. Um, I learned so much, man, about the form of governments here in South Carolina. And that goes back to the the formal government. That goes back to the mayors and different things like that. Because a lot of times the officer may be be good, the chief may be great, but he not he don't have that support. So what that impact, what what that actually does as well is to help give that officer some support. When you tell that mayor and tell that council that look, you're not going to have a police department if you don't comply to to these state standards. And, and I think that's what's needed. I think that's important. So, so one other one other thing I want to talk to you about, dear, as your time as chief, is you implemented a citizens academy. Why was that that program so important to you? Well, I think that was I think that was important because people need to people need to know what we do. I, I think that it's important. Education is important, and also develops develops relationship with the community. And so, just bringing them in, and, and we know we didn't do anything fancy like six weeks and all, because I found out people ain't gonna commit to you in no six weeks. It's hard to get officers to commit to you for a year. <laughs> There's some resident take his time out and come every night for six weeks. So, you know, that ain't happening. So what we did was we did a whole day where we, we talked about uh, uh, we, we, we talked about uh, the mission, talked about budgeting, because, hey, you know, we talked about but they have to understand how, how things function. We talked about uh, uh, your rights, your constitutional rights, what we can do, what we cannot do. Uh, we talked about investigations, what you can do, what you cannot do. When do I read somebody their rights? Th- those kind of things. So we, we we expanded them through through that. We took them through shoot, don't shoot uh, uh, 
of scenarios and different things like that. So it's just a way just to give the people in the community uh, and a, a look into what we do and that we're professionals. And just because you see a guy that's sitting out there uh, in a parking lot, you know, you thinking he's not doing anything that he could be writing a report. He could be sitting down. I mean, just the fact that our people are visible. It means that a lot of times that, that, that criminal acts are not done because they see us out in the community. So uh, he's just sitting over there. Uh, he's sitting here. He's doing that. They ain't really doing nothing. They're not answering calls. So we had to really explain to them about being proactive. What does it look like when we, we we're being uh, proactive in our community? And I think you're absolutely correct. It gets both sides used to talking to each other and it gets both sides used to having somebody ask a question and being able to provide an answer for them. You're right. And them having an understanding that it don't work like it do on TV. I think that's the biggest thing is get that understanding. It's not like television. It don't work that way. Man, as much as I like cop shows, I think they've done a lot, a lot of harm to to the profession. That's a whole episode we could do is showing the... <laughs> The realities versus what's on TV. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so eventually, though, you made the decision that you were going to retire uh, from the position of chief. And it seems to me you've made the transition from active law enforcement officer uh, to retired law enforcement officer very well. And so what I'd like to ask you is what uh, are some of the things that that you have implemented that have made that transition easier for you? Some of the things that I implemented for me, yes, sir. Okay, I, I think one of the things is I'm a lifelong a lifelong learner, and I, and all throughout my career, even though I wasn't able to go, I got I got I finished the daughter finished at Furman University, very the Furman University. That's very specific. daughter at Furman. I had another daughter at another college, and all this kind of kind of thing. So, you know. I was just always a learner. I didn't go in 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 uh in, in get the bachelor's and the masters and stuff like that, but I was always I've always been a lifelong learner. And I, and I think that's prepared me uh to move to my next my next career because I've always just loved to learn about things and the and I always had this way to communicate and those kind of things. So I kind of prepared my way of taking uh the things that I've done in life, the things that didn't work for me, the things that did work for me, and kind of want to bring that and share that with people. You know, I wrote a book called Life Lessons Learned in Leadership. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Life Lessons Learned in Leadership. And I and I just talk about some very simple things that I've learned along the way in leadership. And some of that comes through learning <laughs> learning by trial and error. But you learn, <laughs> but you learn. Mm-hmm. So so I I think with having a positive attitude uh, has helped me along the way and really becoming now what s- settling down and looking back of really understanding the power of focus to be able to be more focused at what I need to do to get the, the, to get things accomplished. I tell you, I feel like a new person. I, to be honest with you, you don't know the level of stress you're under until you walk away. You don't, you don't, you don't know it. You don't know the level of stress that you're under. Um, when you're not focused, when you're trying to uh, uh, appease everybody, when you're trying to make your your boss happy, when you're trying to make the community happy, then you're trying to make your guys happy. And uh, it's just like, man, I feel like a new person and I'm raring to go. And and uh, uh, I think what what I've done is is I've, I've done a good job at what I had to work with, but I think I've grown tremendously uh, from the time as chief uh have really, really grown in such a way that I, I want to, I want to give back now. Well, I love what you said, and we're going to put a, a link to your book uh, in our show notes so that our listeners can find it easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my heroes, one of my leadership heroes, is uh, General James Mattis, and, and he describes books as uh, authors throughout history sitting down and sharing their experiences with you so you don't have to make the same mistakes that they did. And and I think that when when we find somebody like you who's willing to share those things and and being up front, say, listen, most of the stuff I learned, I learned because I jacked something up and I found out there was a better way. (laughs) It's incredibly powerful. But but one of the things this allowed you to do and and um you and I get to be part of a big event coming up here uh, January 24th. And, and what's happening on January 24th for our listeners is uh, Dr. Nassar, um, who is uh, the CEO, the founder of uh, Virtual Academy. He says, I want to show some love to our partners. And so what we're doing is we're going to do a day of training, live training. 
and it's free for the partners. And, and so in this case right here, we're focusing on partners in, in, in West Tennessee. Uh, I'll be speaking in the morning and then Tony's going to be speaking in the afternoon. And, and Tony, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, your topic is focus. And, and so I want to ask you, why did you choose focus as your topic for this event? Well, because it's the power. I call it the power of focus because uh, even me being as a chief, I didn't know how unfocused I was. You know, uh, because I'm getting pulled in all different directions. And really, uh, when you're not focused, you don't get a lot of things accomplished. You don't get really what you need to get accomplished. So so I just want to just expand that with people to understand that you you, you can't multitask. You, you're, you're only one person and, and you need to focus on what's important and make it happen. And, and, and so I want to I'm just going to give people just a little bit of something that they can take away with. But they can come away with and say, you know what? I can do this. I can become more. Fo- I can become more focused. I can become better focused. I can become focused, and I can. I can walk away. And now I can because a lot of these guys. I, I did this training, and one of the things I do is I say, "Hey, give me an adjective of how you felt when you were promoted," and then they give me an adjective. Oh, I felt great. I felt this or that, and I said, "That give me an adjective of how you feel now." Man, I feel <laughs> worn out. I feel depleted. I feel this. I feel that. And really what has happened is we have lost our focus. And so we're going to talk about that. We, we're going to talk about the focus and, and we're going to talk about some things that we can do to become focused or become better focused. And so I'm excited about it, man. And, and so and, and uh, I'm going to give them windows into my life and some things that happened to me uh, at, at some points in times. And that, that was one of the reasons why I decided my time was up because it was getting to the point where it didn't become fun anymore. It wasn't fun anymore. Well, one of the things that I, I, I'm excited to hear your presentation. And one of the things that really excites me about your topic is that it's not only applicable in the professional side oh, of no. things, no, no. But, but it has application in our personal lives. Every aspect, every aspect of your life, every aspect of your life. There are some people who are incredibly unfocused or misfocused in their personal lives and it has direct negative impact on what goes on at the job yeah because listen to this right now i was i was sitting and i was i took the word focus and that, there's some other acronyms i'm, I'm going to use as well but i took this and i said well if i'm focused i'm faithful if i'm if i'm focused i'm i'm observant i know what's going on around me. I'm, I'm observant i understand the culture now listen to this one this has kind of got me and if I'm if I'm focused, go F O, and then you got to see I'm committed. So see now the reality of it is I can be faithful and not committed. I can show up to work every day. Is that being faithful? I can show up to work every day. I can do my time, but it doesn't mean I'm committed. Come on, somebody. So <laughs> so 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 even even with that, and we're going to be talking about that because I want to challenge people. I want people to think. Think about it, you know. So I'm going to challenge them. And I was just looking at the word focus and and, and the you undivided, you know, because because when you divide it, you don't give full attention. Absolutely. You know, so I'm going to be just talking a little bit more so people can hear just a little bit snip, a little bit snippet right there. But but when you break that down and I'm going to talk about some other acronyms, too. But when I break that down, you have to ask yourself just because I'm faithful don't mean I'm committed. Now that can be that can that you can go a lot of areas. You can go in your marriage. You can be faithful. In other words, you can pay the bills. You can do this. Oh, I'm faithful, but are you committed to that? Well, that kind of doubles back to what both of you were talking about earlier when you started your training. You were excited to go in, but there were some folks that showed up right. and they were just there. So they showed up, but they right. weren't they, committed they, to they it. were faithful. They faithful, yeah. whatever well, yeah. faithful to be on the job, but were they committed to the job? So we're gonna talk about stuff like that. And so we're gonna have a good time. I'm excited about it, and I'm gonna be challenging challenging people that's challenging me because I had to look at this. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just come on. I just said, "Ooh, that kind of hit me too." I said, "Wait a minute!" Then. I'm looking around. I said, "That my wife around? I am faithful. Am I committed? I'm, I'm having to. I'm having to think about this thing be, be, because, uh, and, and that's what we do. That's what we do. So when we, we when we when we teach, when we give ourselves, is is that those are the kind of revelations that come. So I, I'm excited about being there. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be good. Well, I, I just go to your committed thing here real quick. I always tell my kids, I said, listen, you need to understand there there's a difference between working and being at work. Yeah. There's a lot of people yeah. show up at work, exactly. but they ain't working. 
<laughs> oh, they're faithful to be there. Now. Absolutely. They're faithful to get that check, but they ain't committed. Uh, I, 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 I'll tell you what, uh, Brent, I'm looking forward to, to this training event. I, I, I enjoy and, and I think Tony does, too. I enjoy the connections that are made when you are talking to people and, and some of the best things that happen in a training environment. If it's done correctly, the, some of the best things happen on break. Not when I'm talking, but when somebody comes up and talks to me on the break. Exactly. And and, and I think, too, is that this this revelation that you get that that now me and you were studying because you studied another day. You told me hey, I'm stu-, and I'm sitting here. I called you that man. I'm studying. All. But the revelation that comes right there at that moment, that revelation that you get, that nugget that you get right there at the moment in the midst of what you're doing is all of a sudden the light comes on and you're able to speak something to give somebody something that their light comes on, something that's, that's, that, that becomes a revelation to them. And I think that's that's important when we when we open ourselves up to that. And, and and I as we're closing here, I think one of the biggest things is the excitement that comes with that revelation, but also the excitement of the anticipation of sharing it with somebody else. Exactly. I, 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 I'm, I'm dude, I'm 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 stoked. I'm stoked for January 24th and, and I'm looking forward to being able to hang out with you uh, for a while. I, I, I've enjoyed hanging out with you today, but I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. Uh, I appreciate you being on, on the podcast uh, with us today. Uh, but I'm looking for, I'm hoping you and I have more time like this uh, in the future. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we do. I hope we do. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I tell you, that's, this is my, you know, this is what I'm focused on. This is this is this is me. This is who I am. And I get excited about that. Every time I get an opportunity to share, I, I get I get excited. Uh, well, Brent, uh, it, it, one thing I think that uh, I have learned today is, is Tony's an excited guy. <laughs> yeah, very engaging because he's excited. It makes me excited. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I have more energy right now at the end of this uh, episode than I did at the beginning. And it's because of his energy. Yeah. And I just appreciate the will of his willingness to share that with us. I think so, too. Because I think it's a, it's a matter of your mindset. If you go into it with a negative mindset, that's the outcome you're going to get. But as you know, Tony's showing us, if you just shift your mindset and you have some positivity in there, you can have a whole different outcome. So I'm looking forward to seeing him speak. And uh, hopefully when he's in town, we're all this is a rare occasion when. Uh, we're going to have you, me and Tony be in town. We'll get we'll get like a big uh, between oh, the wow. lines group picture and send it out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, that'll, that'll work for me. That'll work. Well, if you want to find out more about Tony, we'll have a link to his book in the show notes, and you can find all of that on our website at Between the Lines with Virtual Academy.com. And if you'd like to get some more information about uh, possibly being a guest or sending us uh, some notes, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is Between the Lines at Virtual Academy.com. And make sure you subscribe using your favorites podcast provider to get those new episodes each and every Tuesday morning. Tony, thank you so much for being with us today. We look forward to having you uh, on Virtual academy campus to, to hear you speak and uh, it's it's going to be a, a rousing time i can tell by your energy oh yeah we're gonna have fun man we'll have a blast and we're gonna make it do what it do 